Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. Welcome to another Monday Mailbag edition of CBJ in 30. Blue Jackets coming off a pair of wins over the weekend. Beat the Calgary Flames on Friday night. Beat the Los Angeles Kings last night in overtime. Far cry from where the Blue Jackets were at the middle of last week. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Really nice rebound for this team in the last couple of games. And it was exactly what the doctor ordered. So if you'd like to talk about it, you can do it. You can do it right now. If you're live with me on Twitter Spaces and have a question you would like to ask, you can just request to be a speaker, and I will bring you on, and you can ask that question. No problem whatsoever with that. Some of you have already sent me a question via Twitter at Bobby Mac Sports or have emailed me, bobbymack at bluejackets.com. So I will get to all of that in just a moment. But let's talk about the way the Blue Jackets have balanced their scoring lines over the course of the last two games. Was it a coincidence that there were changes in the lines and the way the Blue Jackets skated after the loss to Buffalo on Wednesday? No, that was not a coincidence. That was not a coincidence at all. One thing that is a little bit of a coincidence is I asked Brad Larson after that game, on uh, after Wednesday's game. So I asked him this on Friday before uh, he took on, before they took on, I should say, the Calgary Flames. I said, did you learn anything in that game in the second and third periods of the Buffalo game? That game was over in the first period, right? I mean, once it was six to nothing, it was it was over. There was nothing that was going to come out of that uh, in the positive in the way of winning. But you still had the rest of the game to play. And... They did play the rest of the game, and they played the rest of the game pretty well. Now, you could come back at me and say, well, you know what? The Buffalo Sabres kind of cranked it down after they had built a big lead in that game. And, yeah, that's that's true, but you're still playing the game. And I said to Brad Larson, I said, did you come up with any combinations, line combinations, or did you see anything out of a certain player or players that might bode well that you can use – in the next coming games. And he goes, nah, that game was pretty much just a a write-off at that point. So uh, you can't measure. He did say this, and this is absolutely correct. He said, you can't really measure it against the temperature of the game because the temperature of the game is ice cold at that point in time. Meaning, because the Buffalo Sabres weren't pushing as hard as they were at the beginning of the game, it's hard to gauge exactly what you have going there because the game's not being played with the same intensity and at the same speed and all of that stuff by Buffalo. It was by the Blue Jackets, but it wasn't by Buffalo. So he said it was hard to gauge exactly what came out of that. However, hindsight being 2020, and I think he said this after the game, either before or after the game yesterday, I can't remember which, he said that he did look at the Roslevic line A combination in the Buffalo game in the last two periods, and that's when he decided that it should be that way to start the game against Calgary and see how it looks in a game from the beginning, in a game where the intensity is going to be at its highest off the opening faceoff. And so that's what he did. He put them together, and he had great results in that game against the Calgary Flames. So he brought them back and put them together again last night against the Kings. And boy, did he get great results in that game, especially from Jack Roslovic, who had four points in the game, and he had it in the same period, for crying out loud. I mean, this guy was on fire against the Kings last night. He had a shorthanded goal, and this was the best sequence to me. When uh, the Kings were on the power play 
and Roslovic and Robinson came down the ice. They created a two-on-one. Roslovic scores shorthanded. Right after that, the Kings take a penalty, so there's some four-on-four skating. Then the Blue Jackets go back on the power play. Immediately when they get on the power play and they make the change, they, the guy out of the box, who I can't remember who was in the box at the time, but the guy from the box goes right to the bench, and it's Roslovic that jumps over the boards and immediately takes a pass and comes in and scores. All of that in a span of two minutes or less, he was able to do that. Get those two goals, one shorthanded, one power play goal. It was his night. There's no doubt about that. But there is a spark with him playing with Patrick Laine and Igor Chinikov. There is a spark on that line. In fact, I would potentially argue with you that they were the best line in the last two games. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau said it after the Calgary game. He said, well, our line really wasn't going, but theirs was. And when I talked to Johnny prior to the game yesterday about Patrick leaving his line and going onto the line with Jack, you know, Johnny was all for it. And not because he wanted to get rid of Patrick Line, not because he doesn't think it doesn't work between the two of them or anything like that. He just said, you know, it's an opportunity to balance out our scoring. And that's what the Blue Jackets have done. Now they have two lines that you have to deal with. You have to deal with Johnny Gaudreau on this side. You have to deal with Patrick Lining on this side, not on the same line anymore. They're going to come out on opposite shifts. And when you're setting up the way you're defending and the way you're matching up, now you've got to be ready to match up against Johnny when he's out there. You have to be ready to match up against Patrick when he's out there. And you can't do both of them at the same time. So it has balanced things. And when Patrick is scoring and when Jack is scoring, then it looks really good. Makes you look like a genius, right? If you're the coach and you put together those combinations and they work, you're a genius. If you put them together and they don't work, then you're an idiot and you try something else. But it's working. Over the course of the last two games, it is working. And I thought what made it even better last night was the fact that the Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, Kirill Marchenko line got a goal. And not only did they get a goal, I thought they were creating in last night's game. Were they creating as much as they're going to? No. They creating as much as I would like to see? No. But they were creating chances. And Marchenko picks up his first NHL goal on a great play from Kent Johnson. Johnson finds him, and Kirill scores the goal and feels great about it. I asked Kent Johnson just a couple of days ago about playing with Kirill Marchenko. I asked him if there was any chemistry between the two of them because they played together in Traverse City before training camp, and that's a whole different beast. I mean, we put all this stock into Traverse City, and for the most part, there's no stock in it except for watching guys play against guys wearing a different uniform. But it's mostly young players going up against young players. It's not like young players going up against veterans from the National Hockey League like you see a week later in training camp, okay? But it doesn't have zero value, but it doesn't have as much value as uh, we pound into it early in the year because it's the first action of the year. And when you're a team that is retooling itself, you want to see your prospects and you want to see them do well. So, you know, the, the teams that are... In the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs and going deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the rookie tournaments are, eh, oh, that's nice. you know. But when you're retooling and you want to see these guys, then it's really nice. And it was really nice to watch those two guys play in Traverse City. And they did have a bit of a connection. And then during training camp, they, they played uh, together a little bit. And then Marchenko went to Cleveland. Kent Johnson has stayed here. You know, Johnson has been in a number of different roles since he's been here. Marchenko was a top-line guy in Cleveland. Just putting up points, scoring goals, 
watching everybody else go up around him, not saying a word, doing his job, busting his tail, and then he gets a chance to come up, and now he has his first National Hockey League goal. So um, they have not been together a lot, but you can see that they think the game in a similar style. And that's why Kent Johnson's able to find Kirill Marchenko. I think what we're seeing of Johnson, and I, and I really think that he is settling in um, a lot better in these last few games for some reason. I don't know if it's uh, if they have him with players now that he just looks better with, he's more comfortable with, whatever the case is. But I, I just think that his comfort level in the last couple of games has been really good. Um, the other night he took a shot from in between his legs right in front of the goal. Darn near put it under the crossbar, too, as a matter of fact. Um, was it last night he drew two defenders to him at the wall and made a pass back to the middle of the ice? I mean, I don't know if he does that as much early in the year, knowing he's going to take the hit on that play, uh, knowing who the players are on the other side and all of that stuff, but he just drew two guys in and he made the play. Um, right before he set up Marchenko on the goal, he had just missed Jake Christensen with a pass, and, and I was talking about it, and I never got to finish my thought because of what happened when they got down there and got the puck back. Um, you know, he and, he and Kent, uh, or Kent Johnson and Jake Christensen, they're very good friends. They're very good friends off the ice, and they've been, as uh, Jake describes it, he says, we're a couple of hockey nerds. We just love talking about the game, and uh, we think the same way. And so when Kent Johnson missed him with a pass, I was shocked because Kent doesn't miss very many people with passes, and then especially your best buddy. And you guys talk about this all the time. You know, and he misses it by a foot and a half. Big deal in the, in the long run. I get it. But it just surprised me because of the way those two guys mesh. And then just seconds later, Blue Jackets wind up in the king's end, and Johnson's got the puck back on his stick, and he gives a beautiful pass to Kirill Marchenko. But I think if that line starts to threaten, now you're really talking about balancing your scoring, right? Because now you're saying, all right, we got Johnny Gaudreau. We have to defend him. All right, okay, we, we can match up with that. Oh, hey, we've got Patrick Line on this next line. we got to defend him. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of that. Well, now you get to that third line. If they start to create a little bit of buzz, now you're in business. And I thought last night that they were creating buzz. I thought last night they were making some things happen. And I think that is a big difference. I think it's an absolutely huge difference. And as we're all sitting here uh, saying that, you know, uh, you know, bugging – and I, I've done it. We're all bugging Brad Larson to put Kent Johnson with Johnny Gaudreau, and he keeps on saying, patience, patience, patience. Every time he says patience, and then he puts him in a different role, then it seems like it works. It seems like you should have patience. You know me by now. I don't have patience. I want to see everything happen right now. Actually, at the end of that Buffalo game, Kent Johnson was playing on that top line. But... Is there a real need for that right now? You have Gus Nyquist. He's extremely responsible. You've got Jenner and Gaudreau who are playing together very, very well right now. And if you can get Sillinger and Johnson and Marchenko going as a unit, I think you're in a really good spot. So all in all, everything was fun to watch last night, including the overtime. Patrick Line with a great play to get the shot, and then Johnny Gaudreau getting uh, the rebound and the puck going off his pants or whatever the heck it hit. You know, they looked at it for a long time after the puck went into the net to see if he steered it in with a hand. And uh, ultimately, they decided that it was a good goal and the Blue Jackets get the second point. So uh, it was an exciting night. The, the last two games were exciting games. Uh, the game against Calgary was a well-played game. Last night 
was a wide-open shootout-style game. So they were different, but they were both good in their own ways. I, I think last night's game was a 2022-23 season game. What do I mean by that? We've seen so many high-scoring games this year in the league for whatever reason. And still, when we get to March and April, the scores are going to go back to 2-1, to 3-1 to one empty net, all that stuff. You get to the playoffs, it's going to be locked down, hard to score, blah, 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 blah. But for now, it's kind of fun, right? It's wide open. It's all over the place. That's what last night's game was. Friday, Friday not so much. Friday was a, a good grinding style of a game against Calgary Flames. Last night was wide open. So two different styles, same result. The Blue Jackets get the win in both of those games. And again, it comes after they had lost on Tuesday in Pittsburgh and then after they had uh, been beaten at home by the Buffalo Sabres on Wednesday night. So those weren't good. The last two were good. And now the Blue Jackets get ready to hit the road. Playing tomorrow night against the Panthers in Sunrise, Florida, then going over to Tampa to take on the Lightning, and then going up to Boston to play against the Bruins on Saturday. You look at this stretch on paper, it ain't easy. It is not easy whatsoever. So it's good that the Blue Jackets are coming off a couple of wins so that they can uh, have some confidence going as they get set to take on these teams because it's the, the schedule gets more difficult. It just does. It gets difficult two different ways. It gets difficult with the uh, teams that you're playing against, and it also gets difficult because now you have to go on the road. I mean, this team has been home for a long time, and now it has to go on the road. And it's a different game on the road, absolutely different game. It can be, it can be an easier game to an extent. It can be because when you go on the road, what you want to do is you just want to play a simple game. You don't need to put on a show for anybody. You don't need to have highlight film goals. You just need to play solid. Keep your positioning. Get the puck to the net. However you get it into the net, nobody cares. You don't need to be flying around and trying to make tic-tac-toe passes and all that stuff. Not saying that's not going to happen. Not saying that at all. But I'm saying there's no need to do that. And if you have that mindset on the road and you play a simple game on the road, then you have a really good chance to win. So, taking that to uh, another level here, the only thing that really changes is the matchups because you do not get the last line change. You do as the home team. So now, when Brad Larson puts Johnny Gaudreau on the ice, the Florida Panthers are going to be able to counter with Alexander Barkoff or Sam Bennett or whoever they want. They'll be able to do that before every faceoff. And... Same with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But again, to go back to what I was talking about just a few minutes ago, if you look at there being balance, now all of a sudden they have to match up against different lines. So you, you've got it. It's more of an advantage to go on the road and not have all of your best players stacked on one line because now you can spread it out a little bit, and that gives you a better chance as the other team is looking to match up against you. So there you go. So it's three road games this week for the Blue Jackets. Tough teams, and I, I think they're looking forward to it. I really do. I, I think it's going to be fun for them because of what happened to them last week. It was, I'm going to change the order around. I know how this saying normally goes, but it was the worst of times. It was the best of times. Normally, it's the other way around, but the Blue Jackets played it in that order. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, the worst of times. 
Calgary, L.A., the best of times. So we'll see what happens tomorrow night when they take on the Panthers in beautiful Sunrise, Florida. Let's see what happens as you start to ask me your questions here on this Monday Mailbag edition of CBJ and 30. And I'm going to start with Mollusk Man, who is live on Twitter Spaces. So unmute yourself, and whatever question you have, fire away. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Hey, Bobby Mac. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I more have a question about long-term future. I see – I'm beginning to see the blueprints – start to form for a future cup contender. I think I've been watching Jiracek in the A. He looks like a stud. Him paired with Rensky, I think, is going to be a very, very good pairing. I definitely see a blueprint of top-line wingers between Gaudreau, uh, Line A, Marchenko, Chinikov, etc. Where where I start to get concerned is still the center position, namely that ever-elusive uh, first-line center position. I don't think Sillinger is going to get there. I think he's good, certainly, and I think he can be a top-six guy, but I don't necessarily see him as that uh, first-line center that we need. I think the only one we really have in our system that would necessarily fit that bill is Johnson, and that's even if he becomes a center. But needless to say, I don't think having uh, necessarily a more finesse player to couple with Gaudreau on that first line is necessarily the best idea. And I'm, I'm getting a bit concerned in terms of long-term because I don't think we're going to be end up at the bottom enough to get those like three high prized first line center prospects of Bedard, Fentilli and Carlson. And I don't, I, I guess, what, what do you think would be the next move? Pat, I know I'm thinking way ahead of here, but that's just kind of how I am. I don't know. What, what do you think the solution would be? Just hope for the best, try free agency. What, what, what do you think is the, the mode? Well, let me ask you this question first before I answer you. Um, do you think they're not going to be low enough based on – or here's what I want, really want to ask. Did you think on Thursday morning they would be low enough to get one of those high-priced centermen that are available in this year's draft? Honestly, even then, no. I, I've been looking at the standings. I don't think we can out-tank the likes of Anaheim, Chicago, or Arizona. And I think I think it's kind of up for grabs. We're kind of in that little uh, hodgepodge of Philly and uh, San Jose. I don't, I don't see us doing better than the Sabres or the Canucks or the Blues or the Canadians. I, I see us ending up like anywhere from four to six, and I'm, I'm not counting on draft lottery luck. Okay, well, that's fair. I, I just thought I'd ask you that because I didn't know if the last couple of games changed your opinion on that or not. Um, and, and I do tend to agree with you. I, this, this team has a history of not being bad enough to get good faster, if you know what I mean. Um, go back, I, always, I always go back to two drafts. One is Connor McDavid and one is Austin Matthews when the team wound up winning games in March that, it, <laughs> you know, you're saying it. And I can say it right now, and it's, it's – it's kind of hollow, um, but what I would say right now is you wish they didn't win as much, but then in the heat of the moment when you're when you're in it and it's going on, like when I'm calling a game, I don't want to call a loss. I don't want to call, you know, loss after loss after loss after loss. Players don't want to lose all the time. They want to win. So, you know, it's easy to look back and say, boy, if we could have just lost some more. Uh, and then nothing's guaranteed because there's a lottery. So, anyway, to answer the question 
of where do you go? And I agree with you. Kent Johnson is the biggest potential number one center guy here. But the question is, will he play center or will he not? If he's not going to, or if he doesn't turn out to be that guy, I'm also in agreement where Cole Sillinger's having a down year, and I have a, a question about Cole that I'll do here in a second that is, you know, it's because he's having a down year. Uh, last year he scored 16 goals as an 18-year-old. I said he would easily have 20 goals this year. You know, he's hit that sophomore slump that we talk about, or nobody wants to talk about, but it's but it's here for Cole. Let's face it. He's not playing terribly. He's just not scoring. Um. So I think he tops out as a number two center. So where do you get that number one? If it's not going to be Kent Johnson, where do you get it? Well, they're, if you can't get it in the draft, if you don't finish low enough to get it in the draft, then you have two avenues. You have trade and you have free agency. And both are going to be expensive. Let's be honest about that. But maybe the trade isn't necessarily for a player. Maybe a trade ends up being for one of those top picks. Maybe you finish, uh, maybe you're, you're picking sixth and you'd like to pick third. And even though this might be a little bit expensive, if you feel good enough about it and you want one of those young guys that you feel is going to be a franchise-changing centerman, then you go ahead and make that trade. So trades and free agency is is all you got there. And, you know, you can you could bat around some names, but anybody that's in this league that is going to qualify as being a number one centerman is going to be expensive. He's going to be hard to get. It's going to cost you a first-round pick for sure. Do you want to give up a first-round pick in this year's draft if you base it upon all of the predictions of this draft? No, probably not. I, I don't think I would. In fact, I know I wouldn't. I, it would have to be somebody like really special that happened to become available that should never be available for me to even think about that this year. So, I, But those are your options. Those are your options. You got you to trade. You could draft, trade, or sign free agent. That's it. That's where you are. And as we say that, Boone Jenner's playing the top-line position. I looked at this the other night when Calgary was here. And maybe it's nothing. I don't know. But remember last year, Johnny Gaudreau played with Elias Lindholm and uh, Matthew Kachuk, and they all had a ton of points and goals, and I, they were incredible together. I looked the other night, Elias Lindholm is still playing on the top line for Calgary, and now he's got Jonathan Huberdeau with him uh, instead of Johnny Gaudreau and whoever else was on that line, doesn't matter. But I looked at the point totals just out of curiosity, and Elias Lindholm had 22 points coming into the game, and Boone Jenner had 19 points coming into the game. So, you know, I mean, Boone's playing the top line center position uh, for the Blue Jackets. He's, He's having a great year. Playing with Johnny Gaudreau makes you better. Although, let's not forget that Boone Jenner was on his way to having a 30-goal season last year. Had he not been injured and had to stop playing, he would have hit that plateau again. I guarantee he would have. I, it, there's no question in my mind that he would have hit 30 goals for the second time in his career. So, it's not an ideal situation. It's great when you see Jack Roslovic starting to play up to his potential. You know, the question with Jack is, are you going to sustain it? Are you going to be consistent? That's been the question with Jack. That's been the problem with Jack. Are you going to be able to sustain it? Are you going to be consistent with it? Because if you are, great. Now we're talking about something. If you're not, then we're going back to the head scratching and, you know, 
trying to figure out who's next, quite honestly. So that's all of uh, that's all of your options on that. Now let me get uh, let me get some questions here because I told you I have something on Sillinger. Uh, I have another question about the the center position here, and this is coming from Ryan. And this is Ryan's question. He says, I'm wondering, is Dmitry Voronkov our future top-line center, or is it Kent Johnson? And what are some comparables of Voronkov? And will we see him at the end of the season just to see his electric shot and great percentage in the circle winning faceoffs? Voronkov, from everything that I've seen and read, is projected more as a third-line centerman. Uh, he plays a tough game. Uh, he, he is electric in many ways, but he plays with an edge. So I don't think that he is the answer to the top-line center position. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he develops and, and maybe he comes over here and and does that. But I think right now, in my mind right now, uh, Sillinger would be a two and Voronkov would be a three. You've got Corrali as a four, and now that leaves you with Roslovic and Jenner. And what do you do there? That's assuming that Voronkov would come here next year and make the team out of camp, which Marchenko did not do. He went to Cleveland for a while. So there are a lot of variables on this. But uh, from everything, everybody I've talked to and everything I've read, uh, Voronkov has is, is not been talked about as a number one centerman. Again, if there's that guy in the system right now, he's playing on the wing on the third line. And that has been the case for a lot of guys. A lot of guys have started off on the wing. I've talked about this before. Alexander Wenberg started on the wing. Pierre-Luc Dubois started on the wing. So now Kent Johnson is on the wing. Doesn't mean he'll never play the center position. It doesn't mean that at all. Maybe they just want him to get acclimated to the game. Maybe they want to let him get bigger and stronger and then move him to the middle, which makes a lot of sense because you forget, and you shouldn't because I tell you this all the time. If you're going to play center in this league, you're going to play against the best, and especially with a guy that has the talent that Kent Johnson has. If you put him on that first line right now, let's say you moved Boone Jenner out of there and you put um, Johnny Gaudreau and Kent Johnson and uh, let's just say you put Boone on the wing, just for argument's sake, so you have a banger and crasher on the wing. Let's just say that just for something to talk about. If you were to do that now every night, Kent Johnson's going to have to face the best defenseman on the other side, and that's a tall task to ask for a 20-year-old who just came out of college. It is. For a smaller guy who's not big in build, he's got great talent, he's got great skill, I think he's going to be a great NHL player, and I think it's going to be for a long time. But right now, to put him in that role, that's what you'd be asking of him, and that's a big ask. It's a really big ask. So that's why they're being patient with Kent Johnson. But when you look at the system as it stands right now, yes, he is the – He's the hope at center if they decide to go that way with him. So we'll see. We'll see. A lot of time, I guess. Uh, Live on Twitter Spaces, Monday Mailbag Edition of CBJ and 30. Irwin has joined me. Hello, Irwin. How are you? Uh, Good afternoon, Bob. There's uh, a lot I could say, but I don't want you to miss your flight. (laughs) Oh, no, we're good. We're good. I made sure I got on in time that I could listen to all of your thoughts, Irwin. Well, two things I want to say about yesterday's game. I love the fact we rolled four lines out there all the way to the end. And, and uh, the face-off circle, Boone owned Kopitar yesterday, which is huge because Kopitar is one of the best there is. 
And Boone took 19 to 29 draws, including the one to start the overtime. And until Fayala scored the winning goal, they never touched the puck. And uh, that was a real pleasure to watch. But uh, the two things I wanted to mention in regards to what was said earlier, uh, the Blue Jackets play in the East. It's harder to win games in the East than it is against Western teams, as we found out this weekend. And the teams will compete against in the lottery, like the Arizonas, Chicago's, and Anaheim's. They have to play each other, plus they play in the West. So I don't think I think the Blue Jackets will have a good chance when it comes lottery time. I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah, somebody's going to come away with two points every time they play each other. But the thing I really wanted to discuss was I get increasingly concerned about the Gavrikov situation. I don't know if the contract issue with him is the amount of money or the amount of years or maybe both, but he is only 27, and uh, he does have a little bit of an offensive upside. And I look at guys like, for instance, if Adam Boquist isn't, uh, if he's not playing by next Monday, he'll have missed more games than he's played in since he's been here. And then you get Zach Wierenski, who by the end of the season, he'll have missed 104 of our last 220 games. But a guy like Gavrikov, man, Friday night, they had to, they couldn't get him off the ice. The guy's got a busted mouth. He played 440 of the last 514 of that game. And, you know, guys like him, they're hard to come by. Uh, certainly, I think he earns his money. He does earn his money. And, um, look, he, he he's in a great position with this team because of all of the things that you just, you just described. This is a team that is thirsting for a defensive defenseman, and he's their guy. And he has done a great job of it. So I hope they're able to work out a deal with him. It's got to be about money. It has to be about money in term. I mean, there's there's nothing else. If that wasn't an issue, then you would think that this was that this would be done. But you have to understand too, from the player's position, the team that he's on and what he brings to this team, you could make the argument, and you kind of did, that nobody else is bringing what he's bringing. Therefore, he should get paid. And now you're in a situation where you have to decide: okay, how much am I willing to pay him? And if I'm not willing to pay him what he wants. How good are the other guys that I have in the system? You know, somebody said earlier about David Yurichek. He's having the, a great season in Cleveland. And, yeah, that's great. But he just got drafted this past summer, and you're usually looking at two to three years of development before you're going to be a, a good NHL player as a defenseman. Maybe he breaks the mold. I don't know. But, you know, or, or if you were taking that risk and then that doesn't work out, and if uh, a Gavrikov, if you trade him or if he walks, or then trade him before he walked. But – then if a year check thing doesn't work out, then you find yourself going out and trying to, you know, find a guy to stopgap that. So he's in a really good spot as a player. He's look, he's going to get paid by somebody. I hope it's the Blue Jackets. I understand your concern. I I echo your concern with that because when I look at it, I look at it and I say the same thing basically that you said. How are you going to get by and win games without this guy? Um, and somehow they probably will, but. As you look at it right now, remember when, when David Savard got traded, and I know he was getting long in the tooth here, but, you know, I, I looked at it and I said, can't they just find him a way to keep him here because he does so many good things? And he left and Gavrikov has taken over doing those good things. So, you know, they they usually know what they're doing and there's somebody else coming along. But I agree with you. I think it's, uh, it's kind of a risk because you mentioned the injuries. But again, you talk about Wierenski and Boquist. They're not the same kind of defenseman. They don't play the same right. style of the game. 
Well, uh, first of all, um, I, I look at this and I say to myself, I heard John Davidson and Yarmo talk during the offseason. You know, we got to find ways to keep the puck out of the net. And when you're on a pace to give up 334 goals and you gave up 300 last year, you did do a very good job of it. And it doesn't send a good message to the fan base. Well, 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 well. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. In, in, in all fairness, when you're looking to do that, but you're not thinking that you're playing with Gavin Bayreuther and uh, Jake Christensen and Tim Burney and, and whoever else on a regular basis. You know, you're, you're thinking that Wierenski and Bean and Boquist are in the mix for the majority of the season. So, yes, that number is egregious. I'm not going to argue with you on that. I can't. The number is what it is. But it's also not being done with the group that was expected to be getting it done either. Well, but see, for me, guys like Bean and Boquist and the guys they have in the pipeline are still somewhat unproven commodities. I haven't really seen in them what I think management sees in them. I'm not sold on them yet. Well, that's fair, but I'm just saying you're, you're playing – most nights you're playing with an AHL defense in the NHL. That's not a good formula. Right, agreed, which is where I get back to a point I made a little bit ago. We're playing in the Eastern Conference most nights, and it's going to be harder to get wins against Eastern Conference teams than it is against the West. I mean, we're going to see a lot of ups and downs this season. I, I agree with that. We've already seen a lot of ups and downs. And it's kind of funny you say that about the East because, you know, what it's been here the last couple of years is this team was kind of built to compete. It, it changed. I remember when, when the Blue Jackets were in the West and then they came to the East, they were still big and physical and tough, and that actually worked for them because all the teams in the East had moved on to the smaller and faster game, and the Blue Jackets were having some success being bigger, and now they transitioned to the Eastern Conference style of play, and and then they'd go play the teams in the West, like the St. Louis's and, um, you know, Minnesota to an extent. And, and Anaheim when they were, well, before they blew everything up there. And you'd face these big teams that were physical. And, and all of a sudden you were having problems competing in that way. So uh, I think right now they're kind of caught, caught in the middle of that. But to your point, when they have faced teams in the East that are some of the slicker, slicker skating teams, that's where they've had a lot of their problems. Yeah, so I agree. We, we agree on we agree on all of that. And I and and again, or when you're right, I mean, look, Vladislav Gavrikov is he's important to this team. He's a great person. Uh, he is a great, you know. And I always talk about give me a give me a jerk that knows how to win, and I'll find a way to to live with him. That's fine. But this guy knows how to win, and he's a great person. He's uh, he's good in the room. He's great on the ice. Um, but he's he's in a great spot. He's going to get paid. And if it's not by the Blue Jackets, it's going to be by somebody else. I hope that it is, selfishly, uh, because they they need that skill set back there. But we'll have to see how it all plays out. Yeah. I'll say one last thing and let you go. Uh, I've accepted the fact there will be some ups and downs this year, and there will have to be some small victories won. But what would make the whole season for me is if the Pittsburgh Penguins roll in the nationwide arena that last game of the year, desperately needing two points for a playoff spot, and the Blue Jackets stick it to them and 4,000 of their most obnoxious fans. Nothing would be better to stick than to stick it to the Penguins right when they can feel it in their guts. Well, that I, I like that thought. I don't like thinking that far ahead and, uh, you know, what it might be like. But they would have a chance because it would be played in Columbus, right? Yeah. <laughs> Doggone it. As long as it's not in Pittsburgh. Just don't play it in Pittsburgh. Irwin, great to talk to you. Thanks.
Yep, have a good week. Monday Mailbag Edition of CBJ in 30. If you're with me live on Twitter Spaces and you would like to ask your question as Irwin just did, all you have to do is request to be a speaker, and I will bring you up and we will talk. Vladislav Gavrikov is being thought of by many people, like Andy McLean, who sent me a tweet saying, I think that Gavrikov's really done well playing on the first pair. I think his game continues to grow. I would love to see the team lock him up. So we're all thinking the same way. Uh, we all know. We all have eyes. We can watch the game, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, he's important. And we'll see what happens with that situation as it goes along. Here, Here's one thing. And I, I hate to say this, but this is truth. So, as it unfolds and we see what happens, it'll all get figured out. But if it turns out where you're not going to sign him or he's not going to stay, combination, whatever, you should be able to move him for something good because of his age, because of what he does. A, a playoff team, every playoff team will be looking for a guy like that. So you should be able to get something good if it comes to that. I don't know if it will or if it won't, but he will be a valuable commodity if he's not going to be around. Let me go back to Twitter, and this comes from Jody. Jody says, I know winning cures all, yet this season just feels like it's not enough with the Blue Jackets only winning 10 games. The 9-4 to loss to Buffalo is still leaving a sour taste. This season, uh, this season is a team effort. What is going on? What changes should come? Again, Jody, uh, no offense, but if I get this on Thursday morning after the Buffalo game, there's one answer. I get it today. Yes, this is going to be a lot of ups and downs. It's already been a lot of ups and downs. I think that the valleys have been lower than we thought that they would be, and a lot of it has to do with the injuries. But they were actually low prior to the injuries. This team did not start the way they needed to start. They, They didn't play well enough at the beginning of the season. Look at the teams they were playing against. That's part of it. Um, trying to get acclimated to one another. That's part of it. Whatever. You know, you can make excuses for it, or you can just step back and say, listen, they didn't play the way they needed to, and the, the record wasn't as good as it should have been prior to the injuries. And then the injuries come, and then that compounds everything. So that is what it is. But, you know, when you talk about what changes should come, really, what, what are you going to do? You've got two of your defensemen that are out for the entire year. You have two other ones that are out long-term. Oh, by the way, Erwin mentioned uh, Adam Boquist. Adam Boquist, uh, I heard him the other day in the dressing room saying that maybe a week or two he's going to be back. He's, he's skating again, so that's good. Uh, so maybe he'll be back. Uh, he hopes to be back in about a week or two weeks. So that's a positive, no question. Um, he'll run the top power play, no offense to Marcus Bjork, but Adam Boquist is a pretty dangerous power play guy, and he gives you that more of a pop off the blue line. And Bjork does. Um, in any event, so as far as changes go, at this point, at this point, they, they made the changes of mixing up the lines. I think they feel that they have the right people in the lineup right now, in the right spots. Um, you know, <laughs> tomorrow's another day. It's another game. Uh, Brad Larson said this last night. He said, you know, the beauty of the National Hockey League is you get beaten a game like you did against Buffalo, but you're now playing six games in ten days, and and you have a chance to go out there and, you know, make the hurt go away. Just play better in the next game and the next game. And that's what they did. That's what they have done. They've played much better in the last two games. So, Jody, just just take a breath. Take a breath. It's fine. It's all going to play itself out. 
That's uh, that's why they play the games, right? That's why they play the games. Um, uh, Young Guns 27 talking about Gavrik uh, or Gavrik. Gavrikov, I've already talked about uh, Vladislav for you. Um, here's one from David. David says, do you think that we should send Cole Sillinger to Cleveland to help him regain his confidence? 15-point pace versus the 31 that he had last season. He's lost. The puck doesn't find him, and he's playing passively. His heavy feet have always been a concern, and he's just a kid still. Help him develop for the long term. Well, I guess his feet weren't much of a problem last year, huh, David? Listen, um, Cole Sillinger's fine right now where he is, what he's doing, I think. Uh, it's not that, you know, the point production hasn't been there, and I said this earlier. The point production hasn't been there, but it's not like he's just got awful and every time he comes over the wall, you're like, oh, boy, this guy again. Not like that at all. Um, you know, I I think he's he has a good chance of driving the line that he's on right now. So I don't think that he should go to Cleveland, not at this point in time. Toward the end of the year, uh, with Cleveland in a playoff position and the Blue Jackets not in a playoff position, then we have a different argument. But right now, at this point in time, I would say to you, no, absolutely not. And I don't think his confidence is shaken, quite frankly. Um, you know, believe it or not, he's <laughs> such a mature kid for 19 years old. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And he's not happy with his point production, but I don't think it is uh, – I don't think it's devastating him to the point where he's not executing other aspects of his game at this point in time. But, again, later in the season, you know, the way I feel right now, and this is just me, the way I feel right now is make sure Cleveland's in a playoff spot and get all those kids down there and let them take a real run at the Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. Learn to win. Learn to win as a group and go for it. That's how I feel, and that's how I feel today here a couple of weeks before Christmas. Who knows what happens between now and the end of the year. Uh, Morgan has this question. Morgan says, do you think about in practice how you will say players' names when they score and or write down ideas for your names and pun references, or do you just let it come to you? If, for instance, my son, Sam Bennett, scored a goal, how would you say that? And this isn't at all a self-serving question. Well, Morgan, I think it is a self-serving question. But anyway, what would I say? I would say, uh, here comes Sam Bennett out of his own defensive zone, through the neutral zone, and on the left-wing side, drives right down into the circle, takes a shot, and he scores. Sam Bennett. Bennett, heck, he darn near broke it. Does that answer your question? Just made it up. Pretty much on the fly. Pretty much on the fly. And uh, that's, that's kind of how it is. These things just come to me. Does that make me a genius? Uh, no, it doesn't. Let's go back to Twitter Spaces and Paul. Paul, welcome to the Monday Mailbag. How are you? I'm great, Bobby. How are you? Good. I think last week there was a joke made about you being able to drink in the press box, but I think on Wednesday they should have given, let you at least have a little, one beer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there should be a uh, like a 5 nothing plateau, right? 5 yeah, nothing. You rule. Just Come yeah. on, bring it in. Yeah, 5 nothing. I should be able to get on my phone and order right to my seat like everybody else, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if you have to sit through that, boy. Uh, you know what? People ask me to, that, since you bring that up, Paul, you know, I had a lot of people say, well, how did you deal with that? Well, you know what? It, once it's 6 to nothing, the game's over. We all know it. So it's it's much easier. It's not like a 2 to 1 loss um, mm-hmm. that you lose late where you leave there going, doggone it. How did. How did they not find a way to win that game? You knew you weren't winning that game, so you just kind of deal with it. And uh, 
and you just hope that there's very little icings and penalties and puck out of play so that the clock just keeps on moving. There you go. Get it over with. Exactly. <laughs> well, I got a cu- curious uh, kind of hockey 101 question for you. Because a lot of people talk about how bang- how terrible Blue Jackets power play's been this year. And, you know, rightfully so. It hasn't been great. But, you know, they talk about um, – I heard it from somebody else talk about, you know, Wierenski, Boquist, Bean. You know, those are our top three guys that ran the number one unit. Uh, you know, were the point guys on the number one unit. Now Bjork's running it. And I'm curious, what exactly does a defensive or a point man do on the power play, and why are they so important? Well, because they basically see everything, right? So they're standing at the blue line. They've got everybody else in front of them. They're distributing. They're making the bulk of the decisions. Where do they go with the puck when – if it goes to Johnny in the right-wing circle and he doesn't have a shot – where is he going most times? He's going right back out to the point for the defenseman to take the puck and figure out how they're going to redistribute. Uh, you know, once they start putting it down along the goal line or start to get it to the bumper guy in between the circles, now it's uh, it's playtime. It's it's time to make a play and it's time that we're going to try to get a shot here. But as they're setting it all up, it's that guy at the point that is making a lot of decisions and then he's distributing. And look, you got. Patrick Lining set up in the left-wing circle, it's a really important skill to feed him the puck where he can one-time it. That is his biggest asset on the power plays, that one-timer from the left-wing circle. If you can't lay the puck in the right spot, he's never going to be able to take that shot. So that's a lot of responsibility. Now you've got Johnny on the other side looking to do the same thing. So, um, again, you're running the show, and, and that's why it's important. That's why you need an intelligent guy out there. You'd like to have a guy that has offensive upside because once in a while – He's going to look at it. Uh, Zach does this all the time, and he, early in his career, he really did it a lot. He would just look, and he would find a seam, and he'd fire that puck right in there. And if he didn't get the goal, he was getting the rebound off the goalie so that Boone or whoever was down low could start uh, scrambling around to try to get to that rebound and put it put it home. So uh, it's a lot of responsibility. And the reason they don't put a forward out there is because there's that defensive aspect of it too. Uh, you know, you, you play four forwards and one defenseman, you very seldom go five forwards because if the forward makes a mistake at the blue line, then the other team is taken off on a breakaway or even if you're going back to defend, you're not defending the same way. If there's a turnover and they start to break out of the zone, you want a defenseman back there so that he can skate backwards and, you know, try to play the angle and take away the, the pass in a two-on-one or whatever the case may be. So, Paul, there's a lot of responsibility back there, but uh, you're making the bulk of the decisions as the defenseman, and when you're making the passes, you got to put them in the wheelhouse of those guys that are looking to one-time it. So I hope that answers your question. No, it absolutely does. Gives me a little bit uh, more to look at next year when Zach's back. Yeah, yeah. Watch the way that Zach does it. I mean, those guys are totally – the head's always up and they're always looking around. They're looking from side to side. They're looking to see what defender is out of position because they are the first guy that gets a chance to take advantage of that. You know, if a, if a defender thinks he knows what's going on and he's trying to cheat the one side or the other, then you're going to zip that pass into, uh, to a teammate that's going to exploit that. So it's, it's a lot of responsibility for those guys. Well, that's good to know. And how's your, how have you, how have you thought Bjork's been this uh, since he's been up? I'm, you know, I, he's got a big role now. Uh, you know, and with uh, injuries comes opportunity. You think he's done enough to earn a spot on the job when everyone's actually healthy? Well, I, uh, if everyone was healthy right now, I would say no. However, I'm going to say this: we were talking about Gavrikov a lot earlier here, and I I have wondered 
I think Marcus Bjork has done a fine job. Um, Marcus Bjork, he does have some offensive upside, but the fact of the matter is most games you don't see him, and that's a compliment to him because he's not making a lot of mistakes. I remember the one game he made the mistake and he threw the puck right out in front of his own net, and whoever we were playing, they scored on it. That's the only egregious mistake I can think of with Marcus Bjork in the couple of weeks that he has been here. He's one of those defensemen that if he's doing his job, you kind of don't even notice because he's just doing it and there's no glaring mistakes, and that is perfect. So if everybody was healthy, he would be back with the Cleveland Monsters. But but we were talking about Gavrikov, and if he's not going to be a part of this beyond this year, could Marcus Bjork become that type of a player. He's big. He can defend. Could he be that? I I, I mean, he's he's not at a Gavrikov level right now, but could he eventually turn into that? Maybe, and maybe they see that from him. So, uh, Paul, I don't think he could be a part of it right now if everybody was healthy, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't be a part of it very soon, even when everybody is healthy. How's that? Uh, that answers the question. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out this year. Interesting, interesting, uh, nerve-wracking, the whole nine yards, right? Yeah, it's you know, what do they say? Uh, <laughs> I mean, this team literally is, you know, a box of chocolates this year. You never, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's, they, that, they played five games last week, and they were five very different games. Yeah, 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 you're right about that. And that's a very seasonal comparison there with the box of chocolates. I like that. Very good. It's like an advent right, calendar, well, right? right it's like an advent calendar, actually. You you pull out that chocolate, and you don't know what you're getting every day at this time of there year. You, there you go. Right. That time of year. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. All right. Let me uh, take a quick look here. Oh, I do have uh, I do have this email that I want to read. Let me look at Twitter very quickly. I gotta get uh, I've got to get this wrapped up so we can get on a plane, go to Florida. You know, I hate going there at this time of the year. It's much too sunny, much too warm. Drives me crazy. Anyway. Uh, here's the email that I got from Lamar. Lamar says, Elvis seems to be in uncharacteristically bad form this season. He ranks dead last or almost last amongst the league starters in every category. Even compared to our own netminders, his stats stand out. I don't like to speculate on injuries, but the last time we saw a goalie's performance drop off so significantly was Corpusalo's last season, only to find out that he was dealing with a health issue all year long. Do you think that could possibly explain such a change or is it more that he's just the most obvious victim of the team's generally poor defensive play? Well, Lamar, I don't think that he has an injury. Of course, you know, I, I didn't really know the Corpusolo had one last year, but I, I don't think it's that. I think uh, has he been a victim of poor defensive play? Yes, he has. There's no question about that. However, there's still a lot of self-inflicted stuff. Uh, in his game, too. And I, I went back and I watched every goal from yesterday when I got this email earlier today, and I went and I looked at it. Um, the Kopitar goal, an attempted poke check. Now, Kopitar comes in one-on-one, -on -one, in all fairness. Attempted poke check, misses it, and then uh, Kopitar is able to walk right around him and put that one in. Uh, what were the other ones uh, as I went through this? I, I was just looking to see if there was anything that – you could pin on him solely. And I'm not saying that there is, but he, he still is. There are times that he's overcommitting on his slides and he's taking himself out of position. There was another one yesterday, and I think this was on the Kempe goal, uh, where the initial shot, he stopped, but he had a shrug the shoulder uh, at the last second, and he was already down on his knees. He had a shrug the, shro the shoulder. I can't say shrug the shoulder 
to save my life right now. But he shrugged, and then he lost track of the puck when it came off the body, and by the time uh, he found it, it was too late. It was in the back of the net. Um, you know, this, Can he be more sharp? Yes. Does he need to be more sharp? Yes. Uh, is he... Is is he a victim, as you said, because the defense has been lackluster uh, quite frequently? Yes, but he needs to be better, too. And I know that he would say that. He has said that. He said that. I think he said that after the Pittsburgh game uh, the other night. And, you know, he's had some injuries this year. That he's had a battle through, um, and that's that stinks, no question. But uh, he can be better. We've seen him better. I think he will be better. He has to be. He just has to be. Speaking of goaltenders, uh, before I go here, Daniil Tarasov was called up earlier today from the Cleveland Monsters. Brad Larson pretty much told us this the other day. When they brought Jet Greaves up, it was so that Daniil could play in Hershey for the Monsters. They wanted him to get uh, another game in before they brought him up. There was no need for him to come up. You knew Elvis was going to play against L.A., so there was no need for Tarasov to be called up to sit on the bench and back up because he hasn't played a lot of games here recently, so they, they got him in another game down there in Hershey, let him play a little bit, which is a good move. It's the right move. And now that uh, the weekend is over in the American Hockey League, Jet Greaves goes back to Cleveland. Daniil Tarasov is called up. Jonas Corposalo is on the injured reserve list. And the goalies on this trip are Elvis and Tarasov for games at Florida, at Tampa, and at Boston. That's what's coming up this weekend. All of those games are coming up. Uh, this weekend, so we will. Uh, I'm just checking here. I'm just checking, make sure that I've got everything before I say so long to you. But you know what? I think I do, and and I gotta go. I gotta go get on the flight. So it's uh, it's as simple as that. Sometimes you just run out of time, and that's where I'm at. I have run out of time. But I appreciate you being with me throughout this Monday mailbag edition of CBJ in 30. Blue Jackets tomorrow. That game against the Florida Panthers is on ESPN Plus in Hulu, which means the only Blue Jackets broadcast that you can get is with me on the Blue Jackets radio network tomorrow night. Until then, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.